good morning. So good to see you. My name is Cameron. I am the Community Life Pastor here, and uh, I am so excited to be here sharing with you this morning. And I got my coffee, so I'm ready to go. These are available, by the way, for $8 in the lobby. And... (laughs) Uh, and then I brought this up here because we're actually talking about this today. We're talking about this, this phrase, and I'll have you say it in a minute so you can practice it in your head for a, for a little bit, but carpe conversationum. And uh, this has been something that has been kind of on my heart and on my mind uh, for, for a couple years now, and so it's really cool that I get to share it uh, with you today. And um, because it's been on my heart for a couple of years, though, there's so much. <laughs> so I ask for grace as we kind of start talking about this. This, And I think that it goes uh, into so much of what we do in community life and as a church. Uh, but before we get there, uh, a couple of months ago, I was here sharing with you, and I've asked by several people to get an update. My son, Knox, he's two and a half years old. I shared a story about how he was saving up money to get a bearded dragon lizard. So... Uh, I got a picture here. We got the lizard. There he is. <laughs> oh, so cute. So it, that's, um, that's Knox with uh, Bob Jr. So is his name. We said, what, what do you want to name him? And uh, he, said, he said, Bob. Well, what's funny is that by the time I told the story to when we got the lizard, somebody else had given us a plastic bearded dragon that he also named Bob. And I said, we need to know what's off limits. Like, you can't throw Bob, but, you know, like, leave Bob in the cage, or, like, that, that would get really confusing. So we said, why don't we call us Bob Jr.? And he said, okay, that's fine. So now we say, don't throw Bob Jr. You can throw Bob. <laughs> that's very important to differentiate, you know, if you have lizards. They're, uh, they're, they don't handle being thrown across the room very well. But uh, just want to give you a quick update on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, now, I want to start today with a story, and, and there are a million examples I could have used, uh, but I love this story, um, and, and I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect because how many of you love Pixar? Do you love Pixar? Yeah? A lot of people, a lot of hands? So you might recognize the name John Lasseter, and uh, it was a summer of 1994, and, and John Lasseter and his team of writers were trying to put some finishing touches on a movie that came out in 1995. You know what that movie was? Toy Story. Toy Story, right? So it was the summer of 1994, and it was a lunch break. And John and his team of writers and said, you know, like, let's go to lunch and um, let's just talk, you know, finishing touches on this movie Toy Story, what it's going to look like. And as they sat there and talked about Toy Story, they started having conversations about, well, what, what do we want to do next? Like, what about when this project is done, when it's over? And so they started sharing some ideas. And John had some ideas, and then the rest of the writers started just going back and forth and sharing these ideas, these concepts that maybe had, they'd thought about a little bit and never had really vocalized. And so they sat in this circle in this, in this Lunchtime in one hour turned into an hour and a half, turned into two hours, turned into two and a half hour lunch. And they walked out of that cafe with some general ideas. Now, not to discredit all the work that went into it A Bug's Life, Wally, Finding Nemo, and Monsters Inc. Written on a napkin. <laughs> Isn't that cool? 
Those four movies, along with Toy Story, cemented Pixar, as we all know and love it, as the premier maker of animated films. It completely changed Hollywood. It completely changed the makeup of what we, we consider a, a movie because it took a story and they made it come to life through computer animation and it, and it took the technology and the ideas and it mashed them together. And like I said, I could have used a million examples of a powerful conversation, but I think that one is so impactful to me because those ideas were inside of them. And it took a conversation to get it out, to create something. And then look what happened. When I was thinking about that story, I was reminded of, of, of a couple years ago, my friend Nate Sullivan and I. Some of you know Nate, he used to work here as well. We were taking a hike up Camelback. It was early in the morning, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, we, as we were hiking, we started dreaming and just started having a conversation. And I, there was something inside me that I hadn't really talked about, hadn't really expressed yet. And I said, Nate, what do you think it would take for us to create a ministry for young adults at our church? And Nate laughed, and he said, like, like for you and me? <laughs> like, because at this time, we didn't really know. Are there any young adults here, any 18, 30-year-olds that, that go to our church at this time? We didn't really know what was there, and, and we hadn't had anything. And, and there was a gap, right? So you look at our church, you know, birth to, to high school, and then, you know, there's some, some groups and stuff for, for our adults, but, like, there's, there's this gap in between. And I think part of that is we don't have a college down the street. You know, ASU's pretty far, and, uh, but we do have Scottsdale Community College, but um, we know they're out there, and so let's, let's, let's talk about it. And, and we laid some ground rules. We said, we, we can do this, but it has to be about real authentic community. Because we think that that's what young adults need. And I don't think it's just young adults. I think that's what everybody really desires, right? I think that's what I really desire is real, authentic community. And out of that conversation, we said, I think the most important thing for a young adult ministry is to have conversation. Conversations about faith, conversations about life, conversations about struggles, about relationships. And so that's what we did. We started it that August, two years ago this month, started the gathering young adult ministry here at McDowell Mountain Community Church, and it is alive and well today. And it's cool, and it, it is such an honor and a privilege to just to go through life. And what's cool, out of that one conversation led to so many more conversations of me walking through people with addictions, walking through relationships, walking through struggles, walking through good times. And several couples out of there have gotten engaged out of that ministry. I mean, it's just, and it's not, it's not that kind of ministry, right? It's not a single ministry. Um, but that's the beauty, I think, of, of when you have something with authentic community and it's based around conversations, you can get to the heart of what you're going through, the heart of of relationship. And so we, as, as we started the gathering and went through, this phrase kept coming back to my mind. Coffee and conversations, or conversations, it, like everything cir circled around this idea of conversations. And about six months ago, um, Stephen and I, our, 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 um, our communications director, we were trying to come up with a cool logo for a mug. And I woke up one morning and I said, 
carpe conversationem. <laughs> He's like, that sounds cool, but what does it mean? <laughs> so, um, so we, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. Let's seize the conversation. Uh, but when we actually looked up the definition of conversationum in Latin, I was amazed at how well I was at picking words for, for mugs <laughs> because it, it's so much more than just speaking. It's so much more than just interacting and, 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 and just sharing ideas. I love this. Here's the definition. A familiar intimacy with a person, moving in place, constant practical experience, a way and manner of life, conduct, and behavior. Isn't that beautiful? Moving in place. That's what happened with Pixar. That's what happened with the gathering, the formation of this idea of this young adult ministry. We, uh, we were moving, hiking pretty slow, right? Um, but, but this idea that we had pushed us forward. Something was created, something that had been inside of us. And once we communicated it with our lips, it became real. And that's what God does, right? You look at Genesis 1, void, and then God spoke. And then everything we have was created. It came through the speaking. And theologians will tell you that the speaking is not separate from what's inside, okay? It's not separate. It's just taking that and putting words to it, and then something happens. Something happens from taking that what's inside and speaking it that just changes the whole thing. And that's what carpe conversationum is. It's seizing the opportunity to have a conversation. And that sounds really cool, you know, and that's really, you know, hopefully I've convinced you to buy a mug now. And um, <laughs> we'll have more phrases as we go. Uh, but we just thought that this was so meaningful, especially for me, you know, becoming a community life pastor. What we've seen with the gathering, we believe that should, should be all of our church. Now, if you were to ask my wife seven or eight years ago, uh, Cameron, you know, or Kelly, is, is Cameron good at conversation? She would have said flat out no. <laughs> I'm a cl closet introvert. And conversations make me uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, if you see me in the lobby and it looks like I'm running really fast from point A to B, it's probably because I'm just trying to avoid a conversation. Um, but I've gotten better. And my, and my wife told me, she said, listen, if you're going to be a pastor, if this is on your heart, you, you, need to, you need to figure this out because conversations are important, right? You have to learn how to interact with other human beings. <laughs> um, and so I did. And so I, I set out on this exploration of what conversations were and, and how they would become real to me and how I could grow in them. And I'm still, so, uh, you know, umbrella of grace, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. And I'm still living out. And I think that we, you know, as a community can still figure out what does carpet conversation really mean? Um, because I think that once we start speaking, a lot of times it gets messy. And I think that that's, that's relationships, right? Relationships are messy. And if, if you know me, I, I, you know, my heart, I, I never want it to be messy, but I think that just sometimes when we start talking, you know, foot and mouth disease, I have a bad case of that sometimes, and I'll just say something like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But it's out there. It's something that was inside, and, and it was created. Uh, but I think when you look at the political sphere, we got to figure out conversations. 
don't we? There's so much on Twitter and Instagram, these conversations that are started, and I'll tell you what a conversation is not. A conversation is not, I've said something, period, end of story. A conversation is not, oh, I don't like that idea, I'm going to rebuke that, and then end of story. And I think that that's what Twitter does to us sometimes, right? This, 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 this technology that we have, we get something out there, we throw something out there, we've created something inside, and technology has made that easy. No longer is it face-to-face where you have to, you know, interact with somebody and, they, you know, they're like, whoa, you said that? You know? Now we can just throw it out there and somebody sees it, good. If somebody doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really have an effect on me. And a study came out a couple years ago. It's fascinating. Barna came out with a study. And they said, we in our culture, in the Western world, are the most technologically connected people ever. But we are the most relationally disconnected culture ever. Think about that. Most technologically connected and most relationally disconnected. I'm not saying there's a correlation, because I think technology is good, and Twitter's good, I love getting my news feed, right? I don't want to read a whole page, just give me the article, you know, in a snippet, right? I don't want to hear the whole thought, just give me a sentence. Um, but, but I think that we, what it's done is enabled us to not work through conversations. It's enabled us to not have to think about the words that we're speaking, what we're throwing out into the universe. And there's a story, so we're going to spend the the majority of our time today in a story uh, in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus was a professional conversationist. If you look through the Gospels and and you you just follow Jesus' story, you you see that. He had a way of interacting with people that was just fascinating. But but this particular story I I just love. And I think it hits so well on, on this idea of carpe conversationum. Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bible or pull out your phone, technological people, right? Technologically connected people. Uh, verse 13, and I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll kind of uh, take some of these chunks of what Jesus is teaching us about conversations. Verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. I just imagine right here, this is Nate and I, like just walking along, just an ordinary conversation. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I think it's so interesting. He just came up and walked with them. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along, they stood still, their faces downcast. Now, some context here. This, this conversation is happening after Jesus has died. He's been on the cross. He's been buried. So they think that death has the final word at this point. And, and we'll see in a minute Jesus' response to them. But they're downcast. They're sad, as would we be, right? This person that we put all of our hope and faith in, he's buried, One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the one, only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only person? Are you so ignorant? Imagine, like, he called Jesus ignorant, right? He's like, Jesus, are you the only person that doesn't know these things that have been happening in Jerusalem? And what things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And they go on to just kind of explain a little bit of that story about what's been happening in Jerusalem. They're telling Jesus who he is. <laughs> and we'll find out in a second they were, didn't have the full story. They didn't have the full conversation, right? Verse 25. So they, they say this, and Jesus responds to them. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He had a conversation with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, this is, he keeps going, keeps walking with them. And they say, no, like, stay with us, have dinner with us. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? I love this interaction for so many reasons. But I think we can pull a few things about the way Jesus is in conversations from this story. And, and that I think that, number one, ordinary conversations can become powerful moments. Ordinary conversations can become powerful moments. And I think especially as we submit those conversations to God and we invite him in, right, before we push send on the... <laughs> tweet, you know, or whatever it is, if we just invite God into those conversations, just kind of say that prayer. But I think that, that Jesus modeled that for us. Ordinary conversations became powerful moments. I love this quote by Edward T. Welch. God is pleased to use ordinary people, ordinary conversations, and extraordinary and wise love to do most of the heavy lifting in the kingdom, and how true it is, right? I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation, and then a week later, a month later, a year later, somebody said, you know, that was a powerful moment for me. That changed my life. And that's what happened with Jesus. He has this conversation with them, and we're not our hearts burning within us? As we had this conversation, something ordinary, commonplace, turned into a miraculous and I think we have the opportunity as we seize the conversation, right? As we seize the conversation, we have an opportunity to take an ordinary thing as we submit it to God and turn it into something powerful. And even if this is your first time, you've never been in the church, you're not cool on the whole Jesus thing, I think that that's a truth. Ordinary conversations become powerful moments, and sometimes it's powerful in the negative, right? Sometimes it's powerful in the wrong way, in a bad way. But then I think the second thing we learn here, <laughs> I love this, Jesus came up and walked along with them. The word came up in Greek, it's one word in Greek, it's, called, it's in Gizo. Can you say in Gizo? In Gizo. It literally means to draw near. Okay? So you're walking along. I, put, <laughs> I just think it's so funny because I do this. You, know, you have two friends and you're like, oh, that's an interesting conversation. You're like, I'm just going to insert myself right in that conversation, right? And, and then they look at you and you're like, 
oh, I don't have anything to say. I just kind of wanted to be involved in this group, you know, because you were talking about something fun. And, and Jesus engizoed them, right? Jesus came, and he just was there. He just showed up. They're talking about something. I want to be there. I want to be available. And Jesus does that. He shows up. And those ordinary conversations, when we invite him in, he's just right there. I think he's waiting, right? It's almost like you got your back turned, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm available. But I think that that's the lesson. Conversations start when we become present and available. Conversations happen. They're about becoming present and available to the people around us because there are conversations happening and you can start a new one, or you can just kind of listen, right? You can just kind of be aware and be present of the things that are happening around you. And I think that Jesus calls us to do that. Just be present and available. We had a funeral here yesterday, and I could, you know, I, I struggle with those moments. Like I said, closet introvert, I don't know what to say. Um, but I think it speaks more when you're just present and available, right? You just hear and listen. And I think that that's the next thing that Jesus teaches us. What does he say the verse after that? He asked them. Jesus asked them the question, what are you talking about? What are you discussing? Jesus knows. He's God. He knows what's going on. But instead of jumping in and saying, listen, you fools, <laughs> like, right? I, I know I personally have sometimes started a conversation with, you know, like, you're foolish, right? Uh, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you how it is. Those conversations don't end well, right? My wife would tell you those conversations don't end well. Uh, my son, strong-willed kid, would tell you those conversations don't end well. Be present and available. And Jesus listened and asked questions. I love another quote here. It's the last one. I know this is a lot. So uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, though, I love this so much. It's too good not to share with you. Christians so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. We've all been there. The last thing you want is your friend to say something <laughs> stupid, right? I think this was Job's struggle, right? <laughs> Friends, you need to be quiet. I just want you to listen and be available, be present with me. And that's carpe conversationum. And that's what Jesus teaches us. And time and time again, Jesus asked questions, questions that got at the heart. It's all, he knew the answer, but he asked the question anyway. He knew how the conversation was going to go. And tell you what, that's, that's opening up the conversation and your personal preference to God. When you can just say, you know, like, I think I know. I think I know how this conversation is going to go. I think I know what they're going to say, but I'm just going to lay it down. And God, you just be available and work through this, okay? I'm going to be present and available. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pray that you take this ordinary conversation and make it a powerful moment. And that's, that's what Jesus does. Skipping ahead, I think... What's the next thing Jesus talks about is when he does finally speak. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I think that this is important because conversations are not always happy. 
and joyful and fun <laughs> and lively, and, and they don't always start powerful, right? Um, and I think that G- this is exactly what happens here. Jesus has something bad to tell them, right? You guys are wrong, but he doesn't start with that. He ends with that. And when he finally does speak, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and carries the conversation through. It's not, you guys are foolish, period, end of story. He goes on and works through the conversation. And I think conversations are about having a net positive experience. If you have a net negative conversation, I would say you're not doing it right. (laughs) Think about it. If you have a net negative conversation, you're probably not doing the first two things. You're not being present and available. You're not listening and asking questions. Okay? If you are, you're only asking questions so that you get a chance to speak. And that's not, that's not what Jesus is teaching us. That's not carpe conversation. But I think what happens is we think that just because we have bad news to deliver or a difficult conversation or we think the way it's going to go, right, the easy ones are good to have net positive. You know, hey, let's talk about something fun you did this weekend or whatever. You know, that's an that's easy net positive. When you have to talk in the context of pain and suffering, those are hard to have net positive. When you're in argument, right, those are hard to have net positive. But I think what Jesus, and it's okay to not finish the conversation, right? You can start it and get to a point where you can say, I'm, I'm feeling good, but, right? We need to just leave it there. I think we've met some common ground or whatever it is and, and have a net positive, moving forward in place. Because intimacy with the person doesn't mean that you just say whatever you want in the end of conversation. You have to be committed to the conversation. And, and that's what Jesus shows us, is that even though he has bad news to show, tell these guys, like, listen, you guys are fools. You don't have it right. Let's walk through this a little bit. And so three things. So if you're taking notes, I think that three things this week. I have a challenge for you, some, some homework. Start of school, right? <laughs> Start of school. You've been off all summer, so here's, here's your homework. You need to have three conversations this week. Some of you are, are, are perfect conversationalists, so maybe this is three conversations today, right? But I'm, I'll make it easy on you, three conversations this week. And number one, I think you need to look at the people in this room, okay? Look around you. These are people who need you to seize the opportunity to be life and hope and encouragement to them. Seize the conversation. To be, okay, so in that conversation, draw near to them, listen and ask questions, and leave with a net positive. Okay? If you don't know how to do that, you're lucky. I'm the community life pastor, and I get to promote my groups and classes and everything coming up here in a couple weeks because it's going to be hard for you to interact with these people this week. But that's the challenge, okay? If, if you want to know a way to do this easily, it's getting involved in a group, a life group, around a table, around coffee, and enjoying each other's company. That's very easy to have that, that kind of conversation. If you're not involved, then it makes it much more challenging. But I believe that that's what Jesus wants us to do, be a community that's involved in each other's lives and encouraging and supporting each other, okay? So that's number one. Number two, second conversation you need to have this week is with one of your neighbors, right? Somebody outside of this room. And it can be somebody at work. It can be somebody at school. It can be somebody that you, you, you see at the grocery store or at the gas station, wherever it is, your waitress, waiter. And not for the purpose of saying, 
you know, like I said, you, you know, God first, don't speak first. Just be present and available. Let the conversation happen. Listen and ask questions. I believe that if you do those, if you even stop there, that conversation will be good and will lead to a net positive. Just be focused on having a net positive experience, okay? Sometimes it's not about what you say, it's about what you don't say. And the third conversation is with God. Because he wants to have carpe conversationum with us. But I think the first thing we do a lot of times is we start with the speaking. We start with the requests and the petitions, and the, you know, the struggles and the things I'm going through. So, the, the, so here's why it's a little bit different. Start the conversation with God of just saying, God, take this ordinary prayer right now in this conversation and make it powerful. I just want to be available to you. I just want to be available to your presence right now. And then ask God some questions. And don't follow it up with the answer, right? Don't follow it up, you know, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Oh, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> no, ask the question and listen, okay? Ask the question, listen, let it linger. Because God wants to have a conversation with us. I truly believe that. And then say, God, what net positive are you going to have on me today right now? What net positive? So we talked about the beginning, God spoke. In John chapter 1, the word that God spoke became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And what that tells me, Jesus wants to know me. Jesus wants to have a conversation with me. Jesus wants to be available and present with me. Jesus wants to seize the opportunity to be life and hope and love to me. Carpe conversation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our lives. This time we're going to move into a time of communion. Because I think it's so interesting in the story in Luke chapter 24. Remember how it ends? Jesus broke bread with them. He drank wine with them. He essentially relived the conversation he had with his closest friends and disciples a few nights before. He relived it right there in the midst of them. And that's when their eyes were opened. When he broke the bread, when he brought the cup. He said, listen, I am present and available for you. I'm listening and asking questions. And I am leaving a net positive on your life. And that's what the bread and the cup is all about. So today, as the ushers come forward and pass communion, we, we practice open communion. Everybody is welcome to take this. And as you do, listen to this song. The band's going to come up and play. And just think about that conversation with God and those other conversations you want to have this week. God, what do you want to do with the ordinary? What do you want to do with my ordinary conversations to make them powerful and impacting to give life and hope and love to people. What do you want to do with my carpe conversation?